0: Relax and get ready to take a trip to the vacation kingdom of the world. So, grab your magic bands and your Mickey ears. Here we go! Because it's time for another episode of the Mousecapades Podcast. It
1: means no worries for the rest of your day.
2: Mousecapades listeners this is Vicki and I'm here with Kaylee and you're listening to the number one podcast that entertains the space between your ears the Mousecapades podcast this is episode 309 and during this episode Kaylee and I are going to talk about the Sherman brothers and how they got started in writing their amazing songs and what their inspiration was for them and before we get started we'd like to encourage you to check out our friends at WaltExpress.com for Disney deals tips tricks and all things Disney As always, if you have an idea for the show, we would love to hear from you. Simply text us at 407-674-0414 or email us at mousecapadespodcast at gmail.com. So today we are
3: talking about the Sherman Brothers. And first off, we discovered that the Sherman Brothers prefer to be called Dick and Bob, which that makes sense because my cousins are quadruplets and they get tired of us calling them the quads. They like to have names. So... Dick says he believes that he was attracted to music because of his environment and his genes. Their dad, Al Sherman, was a songwriter, and he wrote well-known songs in the 20s and 30s. Also, their mother was an actress, and she played the classical piano beautifully. And so their dad, along with his talents, would play pop songs and beautiful melodies for them while they grew up. Bob says that he and his brother were sharing a loft in L.A. after World War II Dick was working on writing a great American musical, and he was working on writing a great American novel. Their dad joked with them that two bright college graduates should be able to write a song together, but after six months, they were still trying to write one. One day when their dad came over, he heard a song that had promise, and that is where the partnership began. Their dad pointed northwest and said, That's the way to Hollywood, and that's where the publishers are, so take your
2: song and go there. So when um, Dick and Bob were asked to describe their first songs, Bob said that the songs were too tried or esoteric, a little too clever for them. They were rhymey and stuff like that. He chuckled it when he thought about it. He said this because the songs were so kind of goofy. Their dad had a secret for writing to his songs. He said that they should be simple singable, and sincere. They need a special sound to work. Their dad called it the three S's. So Dick and Bob agree that they believe in the three S's within the realm of creative, inventive, and original. And I thought that was interesting, Kaylee, because I know that um, in marching band, your director had what he called the four C's. I don't know if you remember all of them. I can't recite them, but yes, there were the four C's. I know that. And it did make you guys strong as marching band people. So I thought... How interesting that their dad created something that worked for him, the the three S's, simple, singable, and sincere.
3: Yeah, and I think it gives you sort of a structure that's very easy to remember, and it helps you stick with it rather than just thinking, well, it needs to have this quality, and it needs to have this quality. If it just meets all of those criteria, then... That gives you a better
2: sense of what you're looking for, right? Very quickly. And then Bob said that not soon af- or not long after, I should say, they um, learned that songs have three parts, and they don't mean like parts that you sing. They meant it has the music, it has the lyrics, and it has the idea. But everything in the song revolves around the idea of it. So um, D- uh, Dick said that those things also hinged upon the door that swings. In other words, that's what made the song happen and that's how they got started. Usually they started with a great title or a concept, a reason for why they were writing the song, and so many times the songs had novel ideas behind them. Sometimes they wrote stuff that you didn't expect. One of the early pop songs that they wrote was a little play on words called Pineapple Princess, and it had a nice little sound It's the first time a Hawaiian song was done to a samba beat, and nobody had ever done that before with a rock song. And they actually wrote that for Annette Funicello, um, and you can listen to that on YouTube if uh, you want to hear it. It's actually cute. Uh, Annette Vinicello is not from my time period. She's more from my parents' time period, but, um... I still know who she is because of Full House. Oh, that's right. She was on Full House. I still... That's the only reason I know who she is, though. When they went dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. Annette. Annette. Yes, I know that
3: part. Dick and Bob were asked if they found their niche when they wrote rock and roll songs. They wrote commercials or anything that they needed to do to make a buck, and they didn't think it was their niche, but during that time... The Disney company contacted them to write a song for a 15-year-old girl, Annette Funicello, as we just mentioned. So, they wanted them to write more, but they didn't think that that's what they should be doing at that time. However, they wrote more songs for Annette, actually 35, so that's a lot more. While Disney had inquired about who these brothers were, who they were writing music for, and how they came about... And Annette was getting ready to make a movie, The Horse Masters. And Walt was hoping that these two brothers would come and write songs for the movie. They wrote a song for Annette for the movie and they went to present it to Walt. And then Walt said, I have a movie about twin sisters that have never met, but they need at summer camp. They explained to Walt that they were there to deliver the song for Annette. He wasn't happy, but he listened and told them that it would work. When he was done listening, He asked the Sherman brothers to take the We Belong Together script home with them. They took it and wrote the song For Now, For Always. They presented it to Walt and he liked it. And they ended up writing five songs for the movie that we know as The Parent Trap. And that's how their career in Disney
2: began. Which I thought was really interesting because I love The Parent Trap. I I know you are more familiar with the Lindsay Lohan and Dennis Quaid version because that's more in your time period and The Parent Trap really isn't in my time period it's just that I watched those movies with my mom when I was growing up um, but I thought it was cool to know that they started with For Now For Always do you remember what song that was? I recognize it but like and I'm sure I would know the words if I heard it but I thought about it a little it, bit well it's the one when where the girls are trying to fix their parents back up and um, when the one went home to stay with the mom, and she told them that they went to this Italian restaurant that had soupy spaghetti, and then she sings the little song for them, for now, for always, or something like that. Then they played that song for their parents when they hooked them up at that dinner that they did when they got to the dad's house in California.
3: Oh, that was a cute story. Yeah. That didn't ring any bells for me, but I'm glad the listeners. <laughs> well, got I don't to know that I
2: had the tune exactly right. I love the... You know the remake yeah. of it, but the originals always are the best for me. So then the Sherman Brothers wrote many songs for Disney throughout the years. The most memorable of them probably were, were the songs from Mary Poppins as we were given the inside scoop to that when we all watched Saving Mr. Banks. So listeners, if you've not watched Saving Mr. Banks and you love the music of the Sherman Brothers, just the ones that we're going to talk about today, you definitely want to give that movie a watch because it really laid it out for us and showed how collaborative the Sherman Brothers could be and how they took their inspiration of music and turned it into what PL Travers wanted for the movie. So, we're going to be talking about just 8 of the iconic songs that they created and uh, these are songs that will live in the hearts and minds of everybody forever. The first one that I'm going to talk about is one that my daughter loved when she was little. That's why I'm talking about it not her and it's Winnie the Pooh. A
0: donkey baby your friend and Kanga and little Roo and Piglet and Bears Town, but most of all, Winnie the Pooh. Winnie the Pooh, Winnie the Pooh, Tubby little cubby, all stuffed with fluffy's, Winnie the Pooh, Winnie the Pooh, Willy, Willy, silly old bear. Winnie the Pooh, Winnie the Pooh, Tubby little cubby, all stuffed with fluffy's, Winnie the Pooh, We'll be
2: So this song was created for the 1966 musical featurette, Winnie the Pooh and the Honey Tree. And the song combines a beautiful blend of peppy music with sweet nostalgia of a childhood. And with each verse, it paints the perfect image of the Pooh characters and creates distinct personality for each of them. And it's agreed that this song and its source material have become intrinsically linked and wouldn't be the same without that. And I mean, honestly, Kaylee, when you think about Winnie the Pooh, do you, can you hear that? I mean, I can hear that song. Yeah, right
3: I hear now. it. And I mean, you guys sang it to me every night, so I mean, there's a reason I can hear it,
2: but I, it's a cute song. It's very light-hearted, which goes with the characters. Well, just the things that I love about them is they just seem to be able to just take that idea and turn it into like what the person was thinking of when they thought of writing Winnie the Pooh, the book. And it was at Milne or whatever is the last name of that writer. M-I-L-N-E, I think is the writer of that book. What they were thinking when they were writing Winnie the Pooh, they live, they're literally putting it to music and you can picture the whole thing going on in your head and that's just I don't know I just think yeah. that makes them an, an ideal musicianship or partnership because that they can do that or whatever. Yeah
3: I think they definitely set the bar for that because I believe a lot of Disney movies are like that like if I hear the music from A Bug's Life I can now this might just be my musical brain but like if I hear a specific thing I'm like that's what's going on in the movie when that part of the music's playing but I think a big part of it is they set the bar for that which I'm not saying the Disney composers of today of the Pixar realm of things like Randy Newman are not talented enough musicians to do that on their own but I think the Sherman Brothers set the bar for the Disney music sounding like that where it was very
2: recognizable and you were like oh yeah that's Disney because it has to be it sounds like it. Right and I do think that some of it's because of us because that's how we all think because we're a musical family that's something that we've always done but I think there's other people out there that maybe don't know music like we do and still do oh I remember in that movie blah 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 because when I play classic Music sometimes in the classroom, the kids will remember a cartoon that it's in and they'll be like, Oh, that's a Bugs Bunny cartoon or whatever. So I think music just helps, and the Sherman Brothers just did a phenomenal job of doing that. The next song is There's a Great Big Beautiful Tomorrow. There's a great big beautiful tomorrow,
0: shining at the end of every day. There's a great big beautiful tomorrow, and tomorrow is just a dream away. Man has a dream and that's the start. He follows his dream with mind and heart. it becomes a reality It's a dream come true for you and me So there's a great big beautiful tomorrow
2: There's a great big beautiful tomorrow is at the Carousel of Progress at Magic Kingdom. So if you've never been to the Magic Kingdom listeners, uh, this is something you definitely need to do when you do take your trip there and it's one of the Sherman Brothers songs that was created closely with Walt Disney. He was in on the creation of this song because it meant so much to him and we had done an episode, you can go back and look on the Carousel of Progress, the history of it, and how it all started and why it was so important to Walt. So if you're interested in hearing more about that, you can go back and do that. But today we're talking about the actual song. And so the brothers worked with Walt Disney to write the perfect song for the Carousel of Progress for the 1964 World's Fair. And then later at both Disneyland and the Magic Kingdom, the song is played within the ride. Um, The song is a tribute to the future and the present, showing the progress is always happening and everyone can be a part of it. And the song also showcases the Sherman's ability to write catchy songs that hold deeper and more thoughtful meanings and if you've ever heard well you just heard the song because we just played it for you but if you've ever heard it while you're on the ride it will live in your mind forever it's just one of our must do's when we go there we just feel like it is a true sign of Walt and makes you feel like Walt's still living in the Magic Kingdom or at least his legacy is
3: yeah I think that's true I just think that last uh, thing you said about how it holds a deeper meaning but it's still catchy because if you probably heard a kid humming that you would think it was like from a cartoon like something silly Mm -hmm. but it like the words that you just heard it really talks about how the future is going in a positive direction. I know in today it's a little hard to see it that way but at the time of when that was made and when the Sherman Brothers created that it was all going positively and I mean there's still tons of good things going on in the midst of all the chaos that's going on so I think that's a big part of the song that is very true. The next song is the Aristocats
0: Everybody wants to be a cat a square with a horn Makes you wish you weren't born Every time he plays Oh, a rinky tinky dinky With a square in the act You can set music back To the caveman days Oh, a rinky-tinky-tinky yes, everybody, everybody wants to be a, a cat
1: Because the cat's the only cat Who, Who knows, knows where to at When
3: The Aristocats was written as the title song for the 1970 film of the same name, and the song is known for bringing famous French singer Maurice Chevalier. I believe that's how you say it. Good job. Six years of French, yes. Um, it brought this. A singer out of retirement. The song is a unique display of the Sherman's ability to mimic practically any style. The song being an imitation of Chevalier's style. I believe I said it more correct that time. Yes, you did. It expertly sets the stage for the classy and elegant lifestyle of the main characters of the film. Now, if I have seen this film... You were small. I was young, yes. Yes, you were very So slow. I haven't seen it a lot since then. The only thing that I know well from it is the Domi Somi So Me song. Because as a music major, that helped me learn solfege, which is what those syllables are. It helped me learn it so much faster. That's the oh, only that's thing awesome. I've really remembered from that.
2: Um, movie, but I think I need to watch it again. Well, I was a baby when this song came out, so <laughs> I wouldn't expect you to know much more about it than I do, but I have watched it a couple times. It's not necessarily one of my favorite movies, but I do love the music within it. But again, we are a musical family, so that's probably why I'm drawn to the music of the movie more than even the movie itself.
3: Yeah, I think this style, when it talks about how they can practically mimic any style, I feel that that's true because this really took a turn from the Winnie the Pooh with the kind of fairy tale sound and... And the great big beautiful tomorrow being very catchy and more so hopeful. like a commercial, like a, almost like a commercial jingle. But this was very like swanky and jazz and under under uh, ground kind of sound stuff. So I think that's the um, interesting part is they really switched it up for this we should movie. definitely
2: watch this movie again because joey would like it for the jazzy feel you're totally yeah. right about that
3: yeah everybody wants to be a cat is the song i know mainly yeah. because it was remade recently through a disney cd yes the famous artists of today redid them but this song is also good i have heard it moving on to our next song it is i want to be like you or the monkey song
1: <laughs> now i'm the king of the swingers oh the jungle vip I've reached the top and had to stop And that's what's bothering me I want to be a man, man cub And stroll right into town And be just like the other men I'm tired of walking around Oh, ooby-doo Hoop-de-weep. I want to be like you I want to walk like you Talk like you you see it's true and ape like me Can't let you
3: Now, despite the fact that this song was Terry. Gilkyson's song, The Bare Necessities, that was nominated for the Oscar for Best Original Song. The Sherman brothers wrote every other song for the 1967 movie The Jungle Book. The duo were brought on to rewrite the music after Walt Disney found that Gilkyson's songs were too dark for his vision of a light Disney movie. So what the Shermans brought to I Wanna Be Like You is an incredible jazz swing number that still resonates with audiences of all ages to this day, as displayed by its use in the recent Jungle Book remake, sung by the incomparable Christopher Walken. Which so, is just funny to me anyway. Yeah, but I think he, like, captured that character so well. Because I have seen a lot of the musical numbers from the original Jungle Book. Right. And I think Christopher Walken sounds
2: so similar to the original No, no, he does. Orangutan. He just plays such a variety of weird parts, like in Hairspray and, and stuff. And to see him play that monkey was just... Crazy to me. But I
3: think he did a good job. It was very... He has that kind of voice that's very distinguishable. Lots of people make fun of it, but I mean... You knew who it was the second you heard him. I do think it's interesting that the Bare Necessities was the only one nominated for the Oscar, but it was not
2: the Sherman Brothers. That is, but it is so catchy. Again, it's got like a jazzy feel to it. And I think yeah. that at that time it was a big deal. And that's why people grasped onto it. Because I think if it was today, well, like they just said, they're still using the songs from the 1967 movie in the Jungle Book that they um, did the live version. It was a couple years ago now. So, I yeah, don't know. that's true.
3: They did use the full version of I Want to Be Like You. In the new in the remake, and they really only did part of the Bear Necessities song. Oh, okay. I do think that's interesting that
2: they used the full song that the Sherman Brothers wrote. The next song is Castaway.
1: Castaway, Castaway.
2: cast away, of course, my mind goes to the most recent movie with Tom Hanks, but that is not the case in this situation. It's probably the least uh, known song on this list, and it was written in 1962, for the movie In Search of the Castaways that starred Hayley Mills. She also sings the song with Maurice, and I'm going to let you say the last name because you did such a beautiful job. Chevalier. Chevalier, who would go on to sing the song that we are going to talk about later on in this episode. The song serves as an anthem to hope even when things seem at their worst, they give advice to trust in your star and cling to your hopes. The song demonstrates that the Shermans could create a beautiful piece even with the simplest of tools. And this is performed, or at least in the movie, it's performed just on guitar. I was looking because I thought it was ukulele for some reason. Again, I watched this movie when I was a child because my mom remembers watching it when she was young. But I probably have only seen it one or two times. We could get it at the library. I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere if you wanted to see it.
3: Yeah, I mean... It probably makes... It makes sense to me that you probably thought it was ukulele, especially if you listened to the original version, because sound quality at that time probably was similar
2: enough. Not that the sound quality was awful, but I could see how it'd be easily confused between a ukulele and a guitar. Maybe so. But, uh, Hayley Mills did a lot of movies, and I'm sure sang a lot of songs that the Sherman Brothers wrote just because, of obviously, The Parent Trap, and then this movie, and I know there's Summer Magic and Pollyanna, so... There's a lot of songs. She didn't sing as much in Pollyanna, but the Sherman brothers were brought out in those. She was a big Disney kid yes. at that era in that era, for sure. The next song is called The Monkey's Uncle. Uh-huh, she loves a monkeys uncle,
1: yeah, yeah. She loves a monkey's uncle, whoa, whoa. She loves a monkeys uncle. And the monkeys uncle's ate for me don't care what the whole world thinks. She loves the monkey's uncle. Call us a couple of missing links.
0: She loves the monkey's uncle.
1: Love all his monkey shines. Woo! Every day is Valentine's. I love the monkey's uncle and the monkey's uncle's ate for me. Eight for
2: me. So the monkey's uncle was sang by a legendary combo, something that somebody probably would have never thought to put together, and that is the Beach Boys and Annette Funicello, And they came together to perform the Sherman song for the 1965 movie, The Monkey's Uncle. Uh, It had incredible harmonies of the Beach Boys, and the Sherman's catchy tune was perfect for matching up with Annette Funicello's voice. And um, it was just a clear collaboration that came straight out of heaven, because you wouldn't have thought about putting the Help Me Run to Beach Boys with the Annette Funicello kind of lovey-dovey songs that she always sang with Frankie Avalon. What did you think of it? Because I know you hadn't had a chance to listen to it before we were able to record, so...
3: I don't know. I... I think it's catchy. Like I definitely like can tell that the Sherman Brothers like signature is on it. I think it's kind of odd to me because I don't know. You were saying Annette Funicello song like lovey-dovey stuff. Was her stuff more clean cut? I guess you were
2: saying it was different from the Beach Boys. Yeah. I would say that the genre was different. Cause I think hers her were more like love songs.
3: I think it's interesting because she kind of sings the straight part. I don't really like, I don't know it's just a preference cause I know from that time period her voice was very favored but in this time period I don't really like it. I feel like it's very nasal, but I mean, I can't really say that it's bad because a lot of the pop we have today is not good. So, I mean, I understand that other generations would, it's a generational gap thing, but I think it's interesting because the Beach Boys part was definitely more lazy sounding, not in this, in the fact they weren't trying, but they had a lot more slides in their part, and hers was very just cut and dry, right? Like pitches, but theirs was very much their style where it was, um, kind of swung a little bit, but mm-hmm. hers was very cut and dry. Which, from what you were saying with the lovey dovey songs, that seems very typical of that style. And so, I think it was interesting how they were able to make those sound good together, but they did, it sounded good still. Yeah,
2: they did, it was really good.
3: All right, the next song on our list is One Little Spark. <laughs>
0: One little spark of inspiration is at the heart (laughs) of all creation. Right at the start of everything that's new, one little spark lights up for you.
3: This song is actually another lesser known song to non-Disney people, at least. But if you have ridden on Journey into the Imagination with Figment, uh, then you have heard this song before. It was featured in this attraction starting when it opened in 1983. And it was the eighties. So synthesizers were all the rage and the Shermans adapted their style to the poppy and robotic sensibilities. So what's amazing is that despite the presence of these styles, the Shermans lost none of their trademark charm and lyrical smarts. The song serves as a reminder that all creations begin with one little spark of inspiration. I do think this song is interesting. I didn't know until we researched for this episode that they were the ones behind that. But I mean, that attraction is cardboard and paint. I mean, Nick says it all the time. (laughs) It's just cardboard and neon paint. But it's still cute. And I mean, young kids still think that's awesome. Like, that's not something you see every day. I understand. And You want to set the bar high, especially with all the technology we have. But that song, at least, was always catchy. And so that makes a lot of sense that the Sherman Brothers wrote that. If you have heard it, if you if that was your first time hearing it, then it probably doesn't mean as much to you unless you've ridden the ride and heard it. It makes it ties in with the whole theme of the it ride. Does.
2: Well, the thing that I thought was interesting was the Sherman Brothers started out way back at the beginning of Walt Disney, pretty much. I mean, with um, Annette Fonicello, and they were able to adapt over time. And it, sometimes, when people, singers from that era, like Frank, Frank Sinatra and Tony Bennett, they get stuck in the rut of their kind of genre of music and they can't move with the times where it says clearly the Sherman brothers understood that in the 80s the synthesizers were a cool thing and so they added that into their music and that just shows that they are versatile and flexible and just doing what needs to be done for that time period which again makes them very good writers which we already know because they have such a genre of songs to have in their library.
3: Yeah, I really wish that like they were still around to just... Continue. One of them is still alive. Well, one of them is but I'm sure it's not the same composing without... Um, no, I was brother. trying...
2: I I think that they said that he composed or tried to compose with Randy Newman and we'll be talking about that more in future episodes because we are going to cover Randy Newman as well because he is another iconic Disney songwriter but we didn't want to put them in the same episode just because they're different and they need to be discussed differently.
3: Yeah, moving on the last song that we are going to talk about today is Feed the Birds.
1: Feed the Birds Toppins a bag Tuppence, tuppence, tuppence a bag Feed the birds, that's what she cries While overhead her birds fill the skies All around the cathedral the saints and apostles look down As she sells her wares Although you can't see it You know they are smiling Each time someone shows that he cares Though her words are simple and few Listen, listen, she's calling to you, feed the birds, tuppence a bell. Simple and few listen listen she's calling to you feed the birds top
3: So, Disney fans will know why this song found its place to the top spot on this list. So, Feed the Birds from the 1964 film Mary Poppins, is fabled to have been Walt Disney's favorite song. Oftentimes, Walt would invite the brothers to his office to talk, and when they finished, he would say, play it. And the Sherman brothers knew exactly what song he meant. I have the inclination to agree with Walt. Feed the Birds is a song that's beautiful and captures the heart-wrenching tale of the Bird Woman. Even though the song doesn't have a strong impact on the plot of the film, I can't imagine Mary Poppins without it. And this is very true Um, um, this is a song that I, as a kid, when I watched Mary Poppins, I just kind of wanted this part of the movie to be over because at that point it was scary. The kids are in bed, they're like going to sleep, and at that point you've seen all the wonderful things Mary Poppins can do, and so at this point you're like they're going to sleep and she's telling a bedtime story. I want the fun stuff again, but I, I think thought that I was can. A appreciate dark song though, didn't you feel like sometimes? But especially since recently, I have learned that's a song I can play. I can sing it while playing ukulele. Oh awesome. So I worked with my kids when I was doing observations this past semester. That was like a story song. We were working on those with the teacher. I That was my mentor. She said, yeah, we're doing story songs. And I said, can I do Feed the Birds? And she said, oh, yeah, that worked. And so we went through and talked about, especially since there's songs or there's words in that song like tuppence. And the kids yeah. don't know what tuppence is. So you have to explain that that's money and you kind of explain what the equivalence of tuppence is to money then and then to money now and so it opens a lot of doors and you talk about the saints and she's outside a cathedral so what's a cathedral it's a church so I mean breaking down the song for me it taught me a lot about it but I think it was just a way for Mary Poppins to kind of reassure the kids that there were there was still good in the world even though it seemed like their dad didn't care about them their mom had better things to do and that they were saying feeding the birds was a waste of your time, but she was reassuring them that there are still people that care for the birds in the sky, even though that seems like something that people shouldn't have to worry about. This lady still really cared about it. And so I think it's an important song,
2: like an important song. And I can see why Walt Disney would really think it was important. And... Honestly, I would have thought A Spoonful of Sugar was his favorite song because of how they portrayed it in Saving Mr. Banks, so that was good to hear the back side story from the Sherman Brothers. Well, I had a lot of fun doing this, Kaylee, and I hope you did too. I learned a lot about the Sherman Brothers, and, uh, or Dick and Bob as they would prefer to be called, just more understanding of how they became the iconic musicians that they are. We might even in the future, I don't know, have to talk to Nick because he's a... Uh, missing being on the podcast and we don't want to overtake too much while he is gone but we're thinking about running an episode that plays more Sherman Brothers music and just not so much talking as letting you listen to all the iconic songs that they had that are very popular that would mean a lot to you because we just like to sit as a family and listen to music so we thought that others might like that too so if you would like that you could always uh, email or text us and let us know that and we could get that taken care of for you.
3: Yeah, so listeners, comment how you feel about this. If you are interested in being a guest on the show or you have a question, simply text us at 407-674-0414 or email us at mousecapadespodcast at gmail.com. If you would like to book a trip or just want a free quote, text us at 407-674-0414 or contact us at travel at mousecapades.net. We would love to book your trip. We love booking our own trips, and it just gives us more joy to book your trips. Even though we can't go, we will live
2: vicariously. Remember to check out our friends at waltexpress.com for all things Disney. And as always, thanks for listening to the number one podcast that entertains the space between your ears, the Mousecapades podcast. Well, Kaylee, I think it's about that time. Peace. And love. Have a magical magical day, my friends. friends.